just a hack. It's just an absolute hack. And he gets his ass kicked by his teammates every week. It's just, you know, it's terrible. It's just terrible. All right, welcome back in here on Hack City, talking week six of college football. I'm Joe DeLeon. If you are just joining us, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching the replay, like, comment, you know the deal. So I this morning got back from a trip that Sean and I made, and if, if anyone tunes into the FCS show knows what I'm talking about. We made our annual FCS football road trip. We went to Campbell this year, and we're going to talk about this on the FCS show, but I just wanted to kind of touch on it because of the current state that I'm in. The travel for that was horrible. Going all the way from Los Angeles to North Carolina, I uh, woke up at 3 a.m. on Friday, woke up at 4 a.m. today just to get back. Uh, would not recommend trying to make that trip to, to North Carolina, and especially going to Campbell was probably one of the worst decisions that we could have made. And it, it sucked seeing all the, the South Dakota State fans, seeing all of the, the Montana State fans that we could have gone and visited, seeing them having a really great time, a great game day environment. I'm going to leave it at this because I don't want to spoil too much because we're going to talk about it on the FCS show. But Campbell has to have one of the lamest game day homecoming environments that I've ever encountered. Not to mention the fact that there were two bars in a 20-minute, 25, 30-minute drive of the campus. So nothing to do. No one was hyped for the game. No one gave a shit. It was, uh, I don't want to go too in on them. And there were a lot of positives, a lot of nice people that we interacted with that knew who we were and you know gave us the, the full rundown, the full tour of Campbell. But that's just my current state. Tired as hell. Haven't slept. But I still want to talk about week six of college football. I got caught up on... Some of the things that that I missed over the weekend, made sure I know about the big major storylines. Now, I understand that the one thing that was discussed the most and that is going to get the most run is the game between Texas A&M and Alabama. That game has uh, importance to the future of Jimbo Fisher's job, but I think it doesn't really indicate much for Alabama's future if they need to be moved down in the rankings all that I'm going to cover at the end. What I want to start with is the landscape going on right now in the Pac-12. UCLA won against Utah this weekend. A game and an outcome that I, I was not anticipating. I thought after seeing Utah and paying attention to their games and knowing that they're, they were one of the top offensive and defensive teams in the country, and it's not like they were playing a soft cupcake schedule the whole way. They started the season against Florida. UCLA was the team that was unproven. And that win against Washington looks a lot less convincing because of the way that they played against Arizona State this past weekend. However, I got to say, after going back, watching the highlights, getting completely caught up with this game, I'm really in on UCLA. I'm very, very in on UCLA and what they're capable of doing. They won this game with tremendous offensive balance and a lot of things that they've done in multiple games so far this season. They started the year off really rough. They, they started looking like crap against Bowling Green. And I thought as soon as you know that, that outcome of that game, they were losing at one point. They barely skate by in, 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 the, in that game. After seeing the way that they started, I was at this at a point where I I didn't think that that UCLA was anything to to be convinced by, but the way that they played against Utah 
shows me that they have what it takes to win the conference. And what I'm referring to is offensive balance, splash playability, and the ability to, t- to turn the ball over on defense and to do it against really good competition. Utah is still one of the best teams in the Pac-12 despite them losing this game. They're, they're still going to be one of the top teams. They're probably out of contention to win the Pac-12, but they are still one of the better teams in, in the conference. We saw an offensive attack that Chip Kelly is, is really in his bag right now. He is back to doing what he used to do at Oregon, which is big splash plays running the ball, huge chunk plays that you're able to pick up through the air. Bobo, their, their top receiver, looks fantastic. But the big thing here is Dorian Thompson-Robinson, not only is he playing really well, but he fits exactly what Chip Kelly needs at the quarterback position. He's a great athlete. He is a, a savvy veteran who's played so many games. That offense to put up 42 points against a really, really good Utah defense, really good Utah defense, is a, a testament to how good this team is and how they're slowly getting closer and closer to a high ceiling that they have offensively. I am fully convinced after seeing not that many UCLA games, getting more familiarized with UCLA. And I think a lot of people might know that, you know, despite me being out here in Los Angeles, there was no need to pay attention to UCLA at the beginning of the season. They hadn't played anyone. They hadn't beaten anyone. They put themselves on the radar after beating Washington, and they're putting themselves further on the radar after this game against Utah. But I have watched many of many games, uh, many USC games, way too many USC games. Because out here, that's what the attention is directed towards. You go to a bar, a USC game is going to be on. Very rarely will you find a bar with a with a UCLA game on. It's always USC that is getting the run, which makes sense. We, we've talked about on the show the underwhelming commitment and nature of the, the fan base at UCLA, the lack of people showing up to games, which it seems like they're starting to show out now. There's a lot of focus on USC. And in the media, there is always been a willingness to overhype USC. And I think after watching both of these teams, we're in week six. We are at the point of separation. They, you know, they call the first week in October separation Saturday. The whole month of October is where teams start to separate themselves and prove who's going to win the conference, who is going to make the national championship game, who is going to play um in various bowl games on New Year's. New Year's Eve, the New Year's Six Bowl games. And at this point, after watching all these games, I think that I am more convinced that UCLA is going to win the Pac-12 than USC will. UCLA, as I mentioned, I know that they started the season a little bit slow, has shown up in big games and checked every single box, as I mentioned earlier, in order for them to continue to win big, important games. The reason why I'm not that in on USC, and I think that USC is is good and they're trending in a direction that Lincoln Riley is pushing them towards becoming the leading program in the Pac-12, and they're obviously moving on to the Big Ten. He is pushing them in the right direction. That, that program looks night and day better than what it was last season and under Clay Helton in general. They're actually dangerous, but they have so far this season 
most of their wins, most of their games is just beating up on and only winning games by a couple of scores against C or lower teams in the Pac-12 and on the remainder of their schedule. Like, what's their most impressive win? Is it the Washington State game that they just played? Sure, sure as hell isn't Fresno State. It's not Oregon State. They have done enough to win against teams that I think UCLA could beat much more convincingly. I think that UCLA doesn't sneak past Oregon State the same way that, that USC did. I think that they win that game by multiple scores. There is a stark difference in the explosiveness of UCLA's offense and USC's offense. There's also a stark difference of how they play when they need to rise to the occasion. I don't feel like I've gotten that same sense from USC. I have instead been underwhelmed. And what is disturbing the most for USC is that they're, they have all of these pieces, all of these guys that they went and got, Caleb Williams, Travis Dye, Jordan Addison, just to name a few offensive players that they added this, this offseason through the transfer portal. And it feels like that they could be putting up 50 points a game, and they're not. Instead, UCLA, the team that doesn't have all these five-star transfer portal guys, they're the ones who's running up the score and putting up all these points and, and having all these crazy long touchdowns, these huge receptions that set up uh, field goals and touchdowns and all these points that they're scoring. There is a, a noticeable difference, and when these two play, that is going to be the determination on who is the more legit team in the Pac-12. Now, I was very, very disheartened to see that Kansas lost. And as I mentioned, I was at Campbell and I was watching a, a, a game live, so I was tracking this game and, and kind of checking in on it on the score. When I found out that Jalen Daniels went down with an injury, Kansas is starting quarterback. I was so distraught is, is one way to describe it, but so disappointed. So absolutely disappointed. It was early in the game. He scrambled to the right. He got hit on the sideline. He go down, he goes down with a shoulder injury, and, and he's I don't know what the time table is for him to return. I have I don't know when when he is supposed to come back at this point. The update has just been there is no uh, certainty on on when he's going to be available after going down with this injury. TCU won this game and they played really really well. And I don't want to ding them. And there's some takeaways that I have for this TCU team. But I think if Jalen Daniels plays that whole game, Kansas wins. I, I don't think that should be a hot take. I think anyone who watched the game or even just watched the highlights of that game can agree with me that if Jalen Daniels is in and it's not Jake Bean or whatever the hell his name is, the, the backup former startup starter quarterback, they win that football game. I know that Bean made a lot of good throws. You know, he made some nice deep throws. He had those two long touchdowns, which nice touch. I give him props for the touch on those throws. But some of the decisions that he made, especially that one interception that he had, was the dagger in this game. He was the reason why they lost. I don't mean to put that completely on him, it's more to do with the reason why they lost is that they were without Jalen Daniels. And Bean was thrust into a situation, the biggest game of their season right now, and it cost them. It absolutely cost them. I don't think that 
like Max Duggan has shown me that he would have outdueled Daniels in that game. And Daniels was starting to cook. He was starting to get into a rhythm. I know that he fumbled early on, but I really truly believe that Kansas would have won that game. What this now tells us though, and I, I will again, before I, sorry, let me backtrack a second. TCU, I will give them credit, looked strong in this game. They had huge, massive chunk plays, a lot of long touchdowns. And as everyone knows who follows this channel, I do my NFL draft content. Quentin Johnston has been discussed on the channel, the wide receiver for TCU. Big, long, explosive receiver. Didn't really have the stats to back up the talent last year because of how god-awful they were offensively. And we're starting to see that, that kid play into his potential. Yesterday was just a taste of what we're going to get. He deserves to be in the conversation, and I think he will likely be the first wide receiver selected in the 2023 NFL draft after the way that he has played. And I'm somebody who's been very high on Jordan Addison with good reasoning, but from that game alone, I am willing to, to put my chips into the corner that has Quentin Johnson's name on it. He had so many huge, not only did he have multiple huge chunk plays, but he had a lot of really difficult catches that he made. He is going to be the reason why that they continue to have offensive success. It's not going to be Max Duggan. It's definitely not going to be Max Duggan. A lot of head, head scratching decisions that he made got bailed out by his receivers just making really, really nice plays. This now opens up the discussion because, as again, we're getting we're in October. Things are starting to separate. What does the 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 landscape for the Big Twelve look like right now? Because we've got all of these one off teams that have one loss. We've got other teams like Oklahoma that I'm going to talk about in a little bit that have exposed themselves as frauds. And then you you now have at the top. Oklahoma State and TCU. I want to really quickly pull up this, this standings here. And the thing that is a really big benefit for us for trying to figure out how is this going to shape out? How is this conference going to look? We get to see TCU and Oklahoma State play. They're the only two remaining undefeated teams in the conference. What we also now have as another fault is that Kansas State is undefeated in conference play with three wins. So as we're starting to get a better feel for this, I don't know if I'm willing to, to determine a winner. I don't, I don't think I'm in a position right now to say, I think that this team is going to win like I just did with the Pac-12. Because there is just so much uncertainty. The one thing that we have learned at this point this far in the season is that any team in the Big 12 can win on any given Saturday. It is one of the few conferences that can do that. And I talked about how the SEC is one of the few that can do that. And we're slowly starting to see that more and more with the Big 12. That anyone can show up and show out. Texas is even still in the mix with the way that they played against Oklahoma. They're going to need a little bit of help to get them to that point. But if, if I were to give a take on who I think is going to win the conference, it is not going to be Oklahoma State. I've seen more from TCU. I've seen more from Kansas State. I have seen more uh, from Texas, as I just mentioned. I don't think that it, it is going to be Oklahoma State. And you know, Avery, I, I you know, I, I know that you're sitting here saying that Oklahoma State's the best team in the Big Twelve. But the one thing that, and I agree with the take that if if Quinn Ewers is in, 
Texas is by far and away the favorite of, the, of this conference because they would have easily beaten Texas Tech. And heck, they might have even beaten Alabama. And we would have been talking about them right now as a top 10 team. Their fate has been so disrupted by the injury that happened to, to, to Quinn Ewers. But the point on Oklahoma State, their defense is terrible. Their defense is not good. They have on a weekly basis shown up and looked abysmal. After losing their defensive coordinator last season to Ohio State, who their defense looks fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Oklahoma State has consistently underwhelmed. They have consistently given up huge point totals to teams like Central Michigan. They gave up 31 points to Texas Tech this past weekend. They have all the you know all the capabilities to be a good offensive team. You know, they've always been Gundy has always coached them effectively offensively, but I don't think that in an event where they have to play a Texas or a TCU, a team with offensive firepower, I don't fully know if they can keep up with a team like that because of how many points their defense surrenders, how just weak that they have looked defensively. I think that now, the to, to, to finalize my point here in the Big 12, the race now is going to be, I think, down to TCU, Texas, and Kansas State. There might be somebody else that squeaks in, but next week, and we're going to talk about it on the preview show, Oklahoma State is going to be, I don't want to say exposed because I think that's aggressive, but we're going to get a much clearer sight of what they are, and they're probably going to suffer their first loss against TCU this upcoming weekend. So the other thing that we had as well, and I, I kind of touched on this, Texas completely boat raced Oklahoma. 49 to nothing. They look silly out there. And I have spoken to very you know, full lengths about how Brenton Venables in Oklahoma this year have been the biggest frauds of the season. They have significantly underperformed that very, very high ranking that they were given at the start of the season. And this is, I think, the step further than that. I, I don't know how you could have eventually lowered the expectation to lose this badly to your biggest rival, 49 nothing. This is less telling about Oklahoma because, you know, there's no Dylan Gabriel in this game. They are coming off of a lot of, you know, bad losses that we've talked about. And I've said that they are not going to be a competitive team in the Big 12 after the way that they've shown themselves and the way that they've looked. Not very telling for Oklahoma. It's embarrassing. It's disturbing. It's, it's pathetic that the, this is the product that Brenton Venables has produced in his first season. At the very least, you would think a defensive-minded coach would prepare his team to not give up 49 points. He is supposed to be this defensive genius. And what all the only takeaway I have on Brent Venables is that he might be one of those guys that all he is is a really good coordinator. He is going to be a, a, quite possibly a defensive coordinator for an SEC team in, in three years because the results produced, like I've come on here and I've screamed into this microphone about maybe firing first or second year coaches. And I did it about Marcus Freeman. And I, that might have been one of the most hack things that I've done is, is, is overreact and freak out about Marcus Freeman, who I'm still not in on. But to at least Marcus Freeman's credit, I know that the Marshall loss was embarrassing. 
he has not gotten this badly whopped by a team or looked completely pathetic and uncompetitive. Venables to do this after they were very good for multiple years under Lincoln Riley. To, for this team to now look the way that it does is a massive regression. And if you regress that badly, understandably, they lost guys in the, in the transfer portal. If you regress that badly under a new head coach, that is on the head coach. That is your responsibility to get your team ready at the start of the season, to be able to compete for the conference. They didn't need to be in the in the contention to win the championship for the Big 12. But at the very least, you got to come out and not look like absolute shit against a team that you're your rivals with, your biggest rival. And you you this is the performance that they show up with. Now, I will say I'm really excited to see what Texas is going to do the remainder of this season. I really, really believe that Texas has the capability to win the conference. I said this after they played against Alabama that they are going, we're going to go on to win the Big 12. That was the firm statement that, that I put out there. What I did not properly account for is how much Hudson Card held back them offensively and how that really hurt them off the way that they played offensively against Texas Tech. That's what kind of slowly started to take them out of contention. But now that Quinn Ewers is back and hopefully healthy, hopefully he's not somebody who is consistently injury prone or his shoulder injury is not something that is going to be nagging throughout the entirety of the season and he gets one more big hit and he's out for multiple games after that. If he is the starter for the remaining stretch of the season, that Texas team is the best team in the Big 12. I can't sit here and say that they're going to win the Big 12 because of the fact that they've already lost a game and they're going to need a little help with the remainder of the schedule. I don't know off the top of my, my head how that shapes out, who would need to lose. But they're the best team in the Big 12 right now. And it's a shame that they couldn't possibly be competing for a college football playoff spot. Two losses completely takes them out of it. One loss and a loss to Alabama, who might be the top team, kept them in it. Very well kept them in it. This taste of what we saw against Oklahoma is, is more to come. And there is such a high ceiling that they haven't even touched yet. The remainder of the season going into next year is going to be important for Texas, but they are showing a lot of signs of being the best team in the Big 12 right now. Coming from Avery, if Longhorns stay healthy, they will not lose. Uh, and I don't, I don't know, but I hope Texas versus USC face off in a bowl game. Hey, that would be fantastic. And I think that USC is probably going to lose a game or two by the end of the season. So I think it's realistic. I don't know exactly what game that's going to be. I, I don't know which bowl games are a part of the playoffs, so I don't want to speak you know speak too soon without checking. But USC versus Texas is always a fun game to watch, and I I would be very very excited to see that as the uh, as a as a bowl game matchup. Last thing that I want to touch on, and speaking of backup quarterbacks, after I was just talking about Hudson Card, Arkansas and Kentucky both lost without their quarterbacks. No KJ Jefferson for Arkansas costs them in their game. And then Kentucky loses to South Carolina without Will Levis. I'm not out on either of those teams, and it's just horrendous timing for the both of them. And I like I I just 
I think that this is the, the very easy thing for everyone to overreact to. It's very easy for everyone to sit here and say, oh, you know, their season's done and, you know, they're, they're not going to have any meaningful wins the rest of the season. Like we always tend to overreact when you lose games that you're supposed to handily win. I still think that South Carolina sucks and they just took advantage of a really good opportunity, a banged up team coming off of an old miss loss. But we need to just come back to reality here. Neither of these teams had their starting quarterback. What was interesting, though, is that Alabama still manages to win their game with Greg Milrow having a sloppy, sloppy performance. Three turnovers in the game, multiple fumbles. I came into the saying that I thought Milrow added a, a more explosive fold to, to Alabama's offense. And all I meant by that is he can pick up huge chunk yards scrambling. And he was doing that, and he did that against Arkansas. But the turnovers really brought him back down to earth. And like it's one thing that doesn't make any sense to me right now is that everyone right now is sitting here saying that, like, should we move Alabama down lower in the rankings? Should they not be one or two in the rankings? They were playing without Bryce Young. Of course, that's the way that they're going to play without Bryce Young. With a backup quarterback making his first ever start, has multiple turnovers. That game is a blowout if Bryce Young's starting that game. We need to, to come back to reality. We need to acknowledge the fact that that is not indicative of how good Alabama is going to be. And for some reason, that has been a, a topic of discussion today, uh, you know, after the games. But no, I, I think that the way that they played, not a lot that they can really take away from that. They just did, did enough with a backup quarterback in a game going against another backup quarterback to win. And in a game for Texas A&M where they're trying to fight for their lives, they're trying to fight to remain relevant. And most importantly, Jimbo Fisher's trying to fight for his job. I will say Jimbo in this instance bought himself extra time. Just like he bought himself extra time when they beat Alabama last year, playing in a close down-to-the-wire game in this fashion helps his case i'm sure that the boosters are still pissed at him but at the very least he can sit and say i kept i kept things close against alabama if he got embarrassed he might have been on the chopping block and we you know there's the hilarious uh soundbite that happened on Feinbaum where he uh a caller called in and, and said that it's cheaper to just get a hitman I don't think that every fan is going to completely move away from the severity of, of that approach. I think a lot of Texas A&M fans are very disgruntled with the results that have been put out on the field right now so far for Texas A&M. But I think that this at least helps buy him some time. Win out the rest of the season if you're Jimbo. I still don't think that he's somebody who, unlike Harson, is going to be fired. Everyone thinks that he is somebody who will be because of the buyout situation and because of the recruiting results, they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. They were always going to give him the benefit of the doubt. This helps. This gives him a little bit more breathing room. I also think that the real team for them that's going to be the most competitive is next season's when the 2023 class and the 2022 class are 2023 classes there. The 2022 class has matured a little bit. That's going to be the team. We all know what Georgia did. <clears throat> Excuse me. We all know what Georgia did as a national championship winning team in that recruiting class with Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, Nolan Smith, George Pickens, all those guys that were from those multiple recruiting classes, 
came together to produce a national championship winning team. Multiple first round draft picks, incredibly talented. So many five stars. It takes time to put things together and to properly build a roster. And I know Jimbo's been there for a bit. It's not like he just got there. It's hard to really consistently win games in the SEC. And the way that you do it is developing a a loaded class of five and four-star recruits to where when there's juniors and seniors, you then compete for a national championship. And he just got those recruiting classes. Like he's just starting to get those guys. It would, uh, to, to be all to like total honesty here. And I know that a lot of Texas A&M fans might not agree with this. It would actually be disadvantageous and silly to get rid of Jimbo after he's the one who recruited all of those players. You know, you, you spend all that NIL money to get those kids to come play for you. Then you get rid of him. That starts you back at, at step one. That starts you back at the beginning of the process. So you're wasting all that money and all that time bringing in those recruits who then have to start over with a new head coach that didn't recruit them, that they might step in and not be wanted there. Yeah, it would not be make a lot of sense for, for Texas A&M to get rid of Jimbo. Get rid of him after like 2025 when you're a little bit deeper into the buyout and he hasn't produced results with the 2023 class and the 2022 class. Yeah, Jimbo's not going anywhere unless somebody offers him a better deal. It's just they are locked up way too much. And I know that boosters are have stupid amounts of money to the point where that they, they can throw that money at him and tell him to, to F off and leave. But it, it would just completely backtrack all the progress that they've made and, and all the res, recruiting results mostly that they've put together. It would do so much damage. Avery also saying, hate the Vols, but I have them beating Bama, whether Bryce plays or not. Felt this for three weeks now. Bama still ends up in the SEC title game versus UGA or Tennessee after winning it back in the playoffs. So I totally agree with this. Or Actually, let me backtrack. I agree with the premise. I agree with the thought. I think that it is very, very possible for them to beat Alabama. Tennessee is another team, and I I talk about when, for a team to win their conference to, to play in the college football playoff, you have to be a complete team. And I feel that Tennessee is one of the more complete teams in the country. They have taken some steps back defensively, but they are still one of the more complete teams in the country. If Bryce doesn't play, they're winning that football game. They're 100% beating Alabama if Bryce does not play. His availability is still unsure, and they're not going to make that clear if he's playing or not until the absolute last possible second. I think him not playing and him being suited up against Texas A&M was an indication of we'll use you if if we really have to just be on standby, but we want to keep you healthy for the more important game, which is the, the Tennessee game. If Bryce doesn't play, Tennessee wins the game. But if Bryce does play, it's a little bit more up in the air. The only thing that I aspect of this that I push back on why I don't think it's you know lock for Tennessee to win. I'm rooting for Tennessee in this game because I love parity. I love for new teams to step up and to, uh, to make a name for themselves and to beat out the, the Alabamas and the Georgias. There's a reason why I was so hype on Kansas and why I now I'm so disappointed that they lost this game is because they, they came out of nowhere. They're an underdog. They're a team that has been struggling for so long and now they're competitive. But I, I think for, for this game, as much as I'm rooting for, for Tennessee, Alabama is still Alabama. And the fact that they're able to win the way that they did last night, despite slopping around and making mistakes and playing like shit the whole game, the fact that they were able to do all of that and still win 
gives me faith that if they start this game slow or they're down by a couple scores, maybe they're down by 10, 14 points at one point, they're going to be capable of crawling back into it, especially if Bryce Young is there. They have shown in multiple games this year already that they can climb back in and win football games. And like I point to last night and I point to the Texas game as, as more proof. And what gets really scary is when that Alabama team gets into a rhythm, they're not getting stopped. But I do agree with you. I think that this game is going to be really tight. I think it is, it's a toss-up. I don't know what the line is on this game. But at the very least, I think it should be. It's In my eyes, it's a pick em. Like You can go either way. And depending on what the line is, that might influence what your, your bet is on the game. But I, I could go absolutely either way. Um, I saw this other comment. I wanted to hit on this before I close out the stream. Charbonnet, I agree that he he's the best running back right now in the Pac-12. And I was really high on him preseason as a draft prospect, a lot higher than my co-host Ryan was, who was giving me shit for, for giving Zach Charbonnet props. But I, I think that he's a hard-nosed runner. You give him some space, and he's a little slow to accelerate, but he can move for a guy of his size, powerful runner, Again, fits that scheme well. Uh, you know, is like a guy that you can lean on in short yardage situations, but has that breakaway speed. I really like Zach Charbonnet. And I think that he's a big reason why that offense, him and Dorian Thompson Robinson working together, is a big reason why that offense is flourishing right now. Why they look better than USC, who is Travis Dye, who's supposed to be a better running back uh, name and prospect than Charbonnet. No, I'm very, very high on Charbonnet. I, I really agree with this, uh, this take you have here, Avery. That's going to be it for me, folks. Thanks for tuning in. If you're watching the replay, hit the subscribe button, drop a comment. We'll be back. I don't think we're going live for the preview show this week. If we do, uh, it'll be the same time. If not, we're just going to drop the show, but stay tuned for that, and we'll be back with more. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, folks. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.